Welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. It is Tuesday, December 8th, and this is episode number 14. I am your co-host, Tom Pyle. And I'm Mike McKenna. We're recording live here at the AEA Studios in Washington, D.C. We try recording dead, but it turns out it doesn't work nearly as well. <laughs> well, you can vote dead, so what's the difference? <laughs> There's things you can do dead. Apparently, podcasts aren't one of them. Yeah. Well, if we don't pick up the pace here, it might be dead pretty soon. So, <laughs> all right, what are we talking about this week? Um, we should start. We should start with the Redskins and the Giants. All right. Well, knocking I won't off have much to contribute. Knocking to this off both Seattle and Pittsburgh. That's awesome. It's big week for the NFC East, but we still need the Redskins. Excuse me, Washington Football Team. Thank to you. Lose. I was about I, to correct I, you. I, I Get feel, with the times, sir. I feel Get bad. And the and the Bills beat the 49ers, so Tom should be happy, but he was busy being a social justice was, warrior somewhere. No, I was very busy putting Christmas together at our house. I, you mean holiday? Christmas. The non-specific holiday? Christmas. We actually hung our tree, uh, decorated our 12 and a half foot Fraser fur. Good Lord. Where'd you get that thing? <laughs> At one of the corner stores, what near did, corner Christmas tree lots. What did it cost home. you? Unbelievable amounts of money. Almost I don't want to disclose. Yeah, seriously, it was about a couple hundred bucks. The thing is, we have to have two trees in our house because I have to have my tree, which is decorated much more simply and much more traditionally. Yeah. And then we have the other tree, the big tree. Where they just throw everything on there, cut multicolored lights, the whole thing, all the homemade ornaments, everything else. Do you so have lights outside? We have a few. I'm slowly building my collection. Yeah, so. that's fair. Yeah. I, we have two trees as well. We have one fake and one real. Yeah, we do the real deal. So, so it's just easier. We have, I have no place to store a fake tree. So well, the thing about this fake tree is nobody tells you it doesn't actually come apart at the end of the season. It will not come apart until like April unless you Vaseline the whole thing up, which I didn't know last year. It was the first year I ever had a fake tree. So there was lots of profanity involved in me trying to put it away. It Did was you, good. So, But you corrected that. This year? this year? Yeah. Well, hopefully. We're going to find All out right. here at the end of, you know, middle of January, I guess. So uh, Spe <laughs> speaking of Christmas. Speaking of Christmas. <laughs> We want to start with the mayor. Biden's picks. No, we want to start with the mayor of Austin. Oh, okay. You want to do the COVID hypocrisy Speak, segment? Speaking, speaking of Christmas all and right, trips and right, right, family. It's a little dated now, uh, a mere five days ago or so. But uh, according to NBC News, the mayor of Austin, Texas, has apologized for traveling to Mexico during the pandemic. Yeah. After he the told mayor, Steve Adler, admitted he traveled in early November to Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, while on and while abroad, even recorded a message urging Austinites to stay home. OK, let's to just combat the spread of the coronavirus. Let's just stop right there. That's the awesome part of this story that he literally taped the thing from Cabo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is almost as bad as this is worse than the Denver mayor who like managed to get his message out. 30 minutes before he boarded a plane to some vacation locale. It, it makes Gavin Newsom look practically virginal, right? I mean, all, all he did was go to a crummy restaurant. Let me run a clip. Run a minute. 
Most nights, Mayor Steve Adler updates Austin on the coronavirus pandemic from his home office. This is not the time to, to relax. November 9th looked different. In a pre-recorded video from his family's timeshare in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, Adler urged Austinites to stay home. We may have to close things down if we're not careful. Adler now saying he regrets traveling by private plane with his family to Mexico after his daughter's wedding, saying in part, my fear is that this travel, even having happened during a safer period, could be used by some as justification for risky behavior. Yeah. You get that? When I'm does not, it end with these people? I'm not sorry because it was wrong. I'm sorry because some bad people might use it yeah. as justification for doing it. It's so <laughs> it it as every day creeps along, you begin to understand the French Revolution a little bit better. Sure, get take out the guillotine. Oh, nobody's going to miss these guys. It's so bad. It's so bad. Well, it, it's um, it's becoming a little bit. Uh, a lot. Some people are starting to come uh, come out of the woodwork on this. Uh, I saw another report recently. This fine lady in Los Angeles. Has an outdoor yeah, restaurant. Yeah, yeah. That, that was that viral thing. Yeah. She, well, it looked right ridiculous. next door, right across the street, they're approving a mess hall for a movie production. Yeah, it looked. And you know, the funny thing is, it looked exactly the same as her outdoor dining space. I mean, exactly the Except same. Except that her well, tables were spread out. Yeah. Well, also, you know, she obviously didn't know whoever it is she need to know in Los Angeles. We look. This is a terrible thing to say, but it's the truth. Lockdown America has become the Soviet Union, right? If you are among the elect or know somebody who's among the elect, you can get away with whatever you want to get away with. And if you're not, you're going to live like a peasant and you just need to get used to that idea. I encourage, therefore, all right-thinking people to join us in free America. We welcome <laughs> you with open arms. All right. Let me play another clip, too, because this, this harkens back to uh, another moment from uh, Rick Santelli. Uh, a little while back, you guys will recognize this. Wanted to, to, to just highlight something that the, the background of this whole discussion comes with uh, what we're seeing in terms of COVID cases, uh, and we're seeing, um, you know, maybe stimulus, but we're seeing calls for, uh, for for not necessarily closing things down, but certainly there are some calls uh, to to closing down, except for the politicians themselves, but 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 for their constituents, they're talking about, you know, they need to be. Uh, much more careful. We're, we're we're hearing right. Yes. No. I believe me. I I believe in careful. And when I point out governors cheating, it's not for the hypocrisy which exists. It's the fact that I think many of these governors are intelligent people and they love their families, which they've taken out into restaurants. Therefore, there is actually and should be an ongoing debate as to you know why a, a parking lot for a big box store like by my house is jam packed. Not one parking spot open. Why are those people any safer than a restaurant with plexiglass? I, I, I just don't get it. And I think there's a million of these questions that could be asked. And I think it's really sad that when we look at the service sector and all the discussions we've had about job losses, that that particular dynamic isn't studied more, isn't worked more. We don't put more people in a room and try to figure out ways so that these service sector employees and employers could all come back in a safer way. You can't tell me that shutting down, which is the easiest answer, is necessarily the only answer. Rick, I just, I, I just as, a, as, a, as a public health and public service announcement uh, for the audience, 
The difference wait, between wait, a big all, box retailer. Who is this? Hold on. The difference between <clears throat> the Daniels. Oh, the different. Who the else? difference between who a who big else? box retailer. Hold on. The difference between a big box retailer and a restaurant, or frankly, even a a church, are so different. It's unbelievable. Going I disagree. Into a big box retailer, I disagree. You're wear- I disagree. You're wearing. You can a mask. have your thoughts, and I you're can have mine. To wear a mask. I disagree. I, it's science. I'm sorry. It's science. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. There's a lot more to this. Uh, oh. I'm going to put the clip in the show notes. But that uh, was, of course, CNBC's Rick Santelli, which, if you remember, he had the rant about the tea. we should have a tea party. Tea party. Uh, very similar time, very similar level of frustration. But the added dimension here is a gentleman named Andrew Sorkin. Yeah who it's it's science yeah um now i i realize i'm not i'm not a television person i don't have a face for tv but first off i want to know how you can get on television and get behind a microphone when you clearly are unable to articulate yourself clearly your speech slurs second i want to know what is the difference between a big box a restaurant and a church and the and and not having the answer be yelled at, it's science because you know well, what? Well, he's doing a public service for his listeners. Yeah, he should for his viewers. Yeah, first of all. Yeah, Rick, which it, by the way, we, we really appreciate. It's science. Okay, you know what? Math is not a science; it's an art. Um, but I assume a lot of people would want to include it in the things we should listen to. Square foot, people per square foot. It's just not that complicated. They are exactly the same. Well, um, you know, Santelli's totally right, right? You can make you can make an argument that a Costco has this huge tall ceilings, has lots and lots of room. They are jammed in there. Of and course. they're in line of and course. they're no they're not six feet apart. Like that is none of that's happening. Now you talk about Target is open. Target is open. They don't have tall ceilings. Yeah. They're just in a mall, right? It's, there's more to this. I want to play a little bit yeah. more because it gets it, it continues to get heated. It's not science. Five hundred people in a Lowe's aren't any safer than one hundred and fifty people in a restaurant that holds six hundred. I don't believe it. Sorry, don't believe okay. it. And I you, live in an area don't... where there's a lot of restaurants that have fought back and they don't have any problems, and they're open. Okay, you don't have to believe it, but let me just say this: you're doing a I disservice to I the won't. viewer because the viewers need to you understand are doing it. A disservice we, we are to the viewer. You are. You are. Okay. <laughs> it also it, it's this, it's like they're twelve clearly, years old. It clearly articulates the parallel world, the universe that we live in. Yeah. Right. I mean, these two people typify. I mean, Centelli's a scrapper kind of, yeah. you know, rough and tumble. Uh, this other guy, New York Times guy, you know. Um, it's perfectly a, quaffed hair. It's a disservice it's, to the viewer. It's science. It's science. You know, I. What I love best about that particular line of argument about it's it's all science is inevitably and invariably it comes from a bunch of journalism majors who probably got minors in English, right? Or probably got undergraduate degrees in English before they went to get their master's in journalism from Columbia or Missouri or someplace like that. Um, it's science. By that, they mean the, the one or two doctors or one or 200 or whatever doctors who agree with me. That's what I take as science. Everybody else, go to hell. Yeah. Well, once again, I mean, when you start to like shut people down with the phrase "it's science" or "I believe in science," this is. I believe in this science is too. Remin- 
I believe in science. Everybody should believe this in science. This is like Salem witch trials. Well, like you know, if you're not, you know, if you're not on board, then you're a, you're a, you know, a denier. You're a this. Yeah, you're a pariah, yeah. so, right, in society. So, so again, not to jump ahead in our table of contents, but um, the president elect, um, the president elect um, coughed up his health squad um, yesterday, and first among them was the. Um, his secretary designate for health and human services, Javier Becerra, right? Um, who's a attorney general of California, used to be a, a member of Congress, right? Has no real uh, health experience whatsoever, but he's going to listen to the science. The Republicans are going to make his nomination about right to life issues. And, and they probably should. Of course they should. Um, and if they don't, they, they should no longer be members of the United States Senate. But but the interesting thing about it is it's science that that I consider it a baby. Some consider it a fetus in the mother's womb, has its own heartbeat, has its own brainwaves. It, it's just science, Javier, and that kind of stuff. You're going to hear more and more of that, that, wep, that, that science. It's just it, science is going to get it, weaponized it, on both sides. And, and guys like Fauci – you know, if the Republicans are smart, of course, they would, they eventually somebody's going to do it. Do a do a twist on that. Somebody's going to do right. it, sure, because yeah. it's math, it's science, whatever. And guys like Fauci, who have led us into this this Vietnam of science, they're, they they don't seem to understand what they're doing. It is this, to have your profession weaponized is never a, in in the service of politics. Never helps yeah, your and, profession. And, uh, you know, I had, we talked about this a while back. President Eisenhower warned about the science yeah. industrial complex. Yeah, and, the science industrial, and you know the the everyone thinks ah military industrial complex, science too, right? Because he got it. He's like, yeah, yeah, all this government funded science. It's yeah. gonna, it's going to lead to it, some. If you imagine, if you imagine that scientists have no agenda of their own ever, you're in real trouble. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, speaking of Biden's picks, uh, Basera. Health guy, health and human services, no health background. Uh, it's not even that. Senator it's the, Kennedy pointed out that you don't necessarily necessarily have to have a health background to be the HHS secretary, but you did hit the nail on the head uh, on what is considered a very high pro, high profile issue for yeah for pro life is the head of the HHS being as rapidly. Uh, this is the guy who sued the nuns, not once but twice, right? He kept coming back on him. Even after the court told him to let go, he kept coming back. This guy is not just a pro-choice. This guy's pro-abortion, and that's going to be a huge problem for the Republicans. If the advice and consent clause means anything in the United States Constitution, it means specifically that you got to get rid of guys like this. Um, and I, I, I'm, I think I'm probably the first guy to say it, but I guarantee you I am not going to be the last person to look at the senators and say, hey – this is one of those moments you have to do the right thing. But but then you're gonna you're basically just a racist. I I, so, I, mean, I how, you can't. I mean, this is this is you can't go after him. But the reality of it is, is that a greater proportion aborted fetuses, aborted children, however you want to say it, make up a much higher percentage of the of the aborted population than they do with the general population as far as African Americans and Hispanics. So. You know, if you're if you really want to get into the racist game, you have to look at the outcomes of the of the actual policies we're talking about. Javier Becerra, he's indifferent to all that stuff. Okay, your uh, your friend Nira Tandon is back in the news. Yeah, man. Turns out she's making just she made 
bank the so last couple of years. From uh, Politico, one of their little daily blurbs, President-elect Joe Biden's pick to lead the powerful Office of Management and Budget is facing new scrutiny from progressives. Stemming from her fundraising for the liberal think tank she leads, Center for American Progress, caps 45 to $50 million annual budget. That's just a lot. <laughs> I mean, for a bunch of guys who don't do much, Kef's that's just a lot. spokesperson Jesse Lee defended the think tank's independence. Donations come with no strings attached and pointed out that many of the progressive policies CAP advocates for Quote, cuts against the business or financial interest of our donors in many cases. <laughs> Lee said Tannen has suspended her fundraising for CAP while her nomination is pending. Well, that's very nice for her. It's a, it's a major concession to everybody. <laughs> First of all, I don't, I mean, more power to her to be able to raise that, that kind of money. But let's not pretend that the Center for American Progress isn't anything other than a gateway drug for corporations yeah. to get into the ob tentacles of the Obama team. I mean, I, I, John Podesta. So, so there was a there was some there was some poor. I'm going to assume it was some kid, right? Um, there was some article about who who the Biden guys were going to pick as domestic uh, climate czar, right? And this guy was like, well, if they pick somebody who just agrees with, with President Obama and President Biden, then that's not sufficient. It's not going to have change. We're just going to wind up with, you know, diet Trump instead of real Trump and blah, 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 blah. It's, and I thought to myself, okay, so this guy must be new in town uh, because he doesn't understand what you just said, that cap um, and all these ancillary things um, are specifically there so companies can route cash to the to the um, governments in waiting on the Democratic side, right? That's that's why they're there. And and uh, the spokes model for um, for CAP there. Well, you know, we take positions contrary to um, our donors. Yeah, that's possible, but not likely over time, right? What really happens is, of course, you ultimately conform to your donors' wishes, and um, well, and, and it also exposes one terrible truth about CAP, and that is, they, they don't really do very much. They they're not there to do much. They're right. there to it's be. It's a holding. It's a halfway yeah. house for for. They're there to be. Right. Not uh, do. I mean, look, uh, the same thing could be said about other organizations on the right. Sure. You know, people hang out and wait. Sure. Uh, until there's a turn, and then they go in and they turn in. So I mean, we're looking at you, Heritage the, Foundation. Yeah, the, the only two <laughs> people on the planet who didn't do that. Well, actually, you ended up doing that, but. I'm one of the few people who worked on the transition that had no interest of going into the administration. Yeah, well, so you were the smart one. <laughs> one, uh, one other of of Biden's picks made her um, introductory remarks um, shortly after she was picked. I want to pull up a clip uh, of her as well. Out of our collective pain as a nation, we will find collective purpose to control the pandemic and build our economy back better than before, to rebuild our infrastructure and create better jobs, to invest in our workforce, to advance racial equity and make sure the economic recovery includes everyone, to address the climate crisis with American ingenuity and American jobs. So Yellen is on the Build Back Better train. Yeah. Everyone is sufficiently in lockstep yeah. on the Build Back Better train and also the Great Reset. 
Yeah. So the really interesting thing she said about that was like an economy that's better for everybody. Um, say what you want about Trump. Prior to the pandemic, um, he had record high employment rates of African-Americans and Hispanics. Yeah. And right? and uh, also – and for everybody, the economy is much better for for everybody than than it had been under the previous regime, right? In spite of the the sum total of the entire theme, to ex- to the extent that Biden actually had a theme, which is that Trump was a white supremacist and a racist, he actually did better in in Hispanics and African Americans. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I listen I listen to this, and I'm like, it's just like it's just like. Um, Secretary Designate Yellen just somehow got magically dropped into DC. Like she hadn't been here the whole time, <laughs> right, right? That's the other yeah. thing. She doesn't live here. Her <laughs> husband isn't a professor down the street from the White House. I mean, all this stuff, it's just ridiculous. She's talking about a 74 year old person who spent a good chunk of her life in and around Washington. And she's just like, we're going to come and fix all these problems. Like, what were you? Where have you been? Yeah, Where have you been? What have you been doing? It's complete. I mean, we are, we are, our think tank is compiling a, a bind, Biden's binders. Oh, man. Um, and we're going to be listing out all of these uh, individuals in the. Listing out uh, people by, by what? By age? One of the, <laughs> by one of the sorting criteria will be their age. <laughs> I mean, you got, you got, carries what, 74? Five, six, four, whatever he is, Janet Yellen. I mean, this is like seriously some of the creakiest, and not just creaky people, but creaky thinkers. I mean, guys who've been around forever and done nothing. You know, truthfully, in all fairness, Naratondon may be may be the um, sacrificial, um, you know, sacrifice to the confirmation gods, like Josh Holmes called her. Um, but Cap is a perfect emblem for this crowd. Been around forever. Done nothing, raised a bunch of money, spent a bunch of money. Build back better. Have nothing to show for build it. Build back better. We're going to build back better. <clears throat> Speaking of 75-year-olds, is that how old Mary Nichols is? Yes. Um, she's under a little hot water as well from the Hall of Justice. Yeah. Democrats. The, yeah, the Justice League Democrats, the Hall of Justice. So Mary yeah. Nichols, of course, is leaving her perch at the has unelected, left. Has left. as the unelected bureaucrat in charge of micromanaging Car. The entire destruction uh, of the state of California's electricity Not system. the entire. She had lots of help. Come on. I'm sorry. Sorry. She had lots of help. Uh, but anyway, she's on the short list for uh, EPA administrator being pushed by Chuck Schumer and some others uh, under fire from the Hall of Justice Democrats for yeah, like, being a little bit insensitive. No, like 40 of them sent, her, sent a letter to, I'm going to guess, President-elect Biden. Sent a letter, 40 groups sent a letter saying that she was, um, that her record in California with respect to environmental justice was terrible and he should not consider her. I'm telling you, I said this last week, I'm going to say it again. Mustafa Ali, my man Mustafa is heading right for that job, just so you I know. I still don't agree with that. I'm telling you, he's not going to nominate Mary Nichols. Can't. Can't now. It would be one thing that they, it'd be one thing if like they hadn't written that letter. But Damn, I don't know. But he's now on notice. They're, they're not doing that well right now. They're doing uh, terrible. They're, they're not. They're not killing it. They're not. So they're doing terrible. But the truth of the matter is, we are now. We now have. Here's here's what we have in place. Right here are the nominees we have in place. The national security team is now going to essentially be complete. Right with the nomination of General Austin. 
the um, economic team is complete, the healthcare team is complete. What we have now is the cats and dogs, and um, progressives are going to expect some of those cats and dogs, and not just the guy from Open Society at Labor, right? They're going to actually expect some real things. Well, I think there's a couple of things. Um, you know, one, I don't know how many picks he's going to have between now and January 5th. I suspect they'll they'll trickle and slow down a little bit. I would imagine, yeah. Uh, and then after the uh, the runoffs in Georgia, depending on how those go, it could be a whole different yeah, ballgame in terms of his, well, uh, the folks that he that he puts up. So I see the great thing about Mustafa is is that he's a ghost. He doesn't actually exist, right? He, he has no record. Mary Nichols has got like thirty years worth of record. Her last vote in front of the Senate, though, was her nineteen ninety three confirmation to be assistant administrator for air and radiation. Um, I. I I remember it well because it was right around the time that George Allen won his race and I was heading towards going to work at DEQ in Virginia. I'm like, there's my target. Then, you know, I, I would love to have Mary Nichols there. I would love to have her. Yeah, I, I go back and forth. I think that it would be great because there is such a glorious record there to shoot at. Um, and I also think that there's an argument that you shouldn't have someone as competent as her because she could potentially do a lot uh, with with the position. But I just don't think they can be as creative no. on the regulatory side. No. Uh, at least initially, they're going to have to write rules that, that have to get through a Supreme Court that has yeah. its crosshairs on, as we've talked about, uh, Chevron deference, which is the way, you know, the way that the courts have generally regarded giving these agencies a lot more leeway to interpret the laws. And I just don't, I just don't see if it was a couple years ago, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd say she'd be a pretty, pretty tough, formidable uh, in terms of oh, what she she'd be able to achieve. But I just feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'll figure it out, but I just feel well, like we have reached the bounds of, of the these laws like you cannot That's interpret right. them or stretch them That's any right. further without actually going back and changing them. That's right. I mean, you know, you see that in a bunch of different places, super fun, clean water, clean air for sure, right? The interesting thing is going to be if he does nominate her, how much barbecuing is going to happen over the um the secret deal with the with the car guys, right? Oh yeah. Cuz everyone's going to ask questions about that and the FOIA ramifications oh, let, and all let this me other stop stuff. you there. The New York Times she boasted, Mary Nichols boasted about going into a room behind closed doors and cutting a deal with the automakers and the Obama administration that got us in this whole mess in the first yeah. place with respect to the the GHG and the California situation boasted about how they basically bypassed the public. Yeah, and see, that's why I think you're going to get somebody else. They'll, they may shuffle her off into some kind of, you know, she'll be some ridiculous thing. Hell, for all I know, she'll be the domestic climate czar, right? Because we're still waiting on that. I'm, 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 I'm anxious to see who gets that job. If it's, I'm hoping. Well, in, in Jay Inslee. Oh, man, I'm hoping it's Jay Inslee. <laughs> on the short list. Oh, that would be so money. Um, yeah, you know. There's an, another guy um, who used to work for Obama that went and is shilling for Cuomo now. Oh, I don't know who. I don't know who. I can't remember but, his name. But I'll, man, I hope. I hope in in a, in a perfect world, Governor Inslee would get that job, and he and John Kerry would engage in an Indian strap match to figure out who <laughs> who was actually going to run the policy, because the two of those guys, 
Either that or we put them in a room and let them talk until the oxygen runs out. <laughs> See who, so whoever can get to the door first wins. Oh, Granholm is on the short list as well. For the domestic policy? For the domestic policies are. She's a Canadian. Yeah. Well, She's from Canada. Can you have a Canadian be the domestic policies are? Why not? America. I, I, yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, John Kerry's from Massachusetts, so. <laughs> And the other name on the list is Ali Ziadi, who is currently oh, yeah, New yeah, York's yeah, deputy yeah. secretary for energy and environment, who is also in the Obama crew. Yeah, I, you know, it, shocker. Um, I, it, they're going to have to give it to somebody. And, you know, it's going to be... Um, Gina McCarthy's not interested. She, she indicated that she's per perfectly happy where she is at NRDC, which... If we have any, if we have any repeat listeners, we'll know that is in partly motivated by the fact that she got a hundred million dollars from getting, Amazon she's to getting, run her to run her her esteemed organization. She's, she's got a new best friend, so, so why go into the administration? Yeah, I, I I'm with her on that. Uh, if by the way, if there's somebody out there who'd like to <laughs> prevent me from going into the Biden administration by giving me a hundred million bucks, um, I'm all ears. Have at it. You can donate to the American Energy Alliance. He'll take a cut right off the top, pass the rest to me. Um, all right. So let's talk energy. Lots going on. Lots of swirling speculation about what Biden will do, what Biden could do. Um, my take is, is there's two sort of competing our overarching themes here with, with what, the, what the climatistas want. And the first is, is net zero. Okay, so Biden's plan is net zero, uh, globe, you know, net zero, American emissions by 2050. Meaning we won't be, we will not, no longer be emitting CO2 by 2050. I don't know how you handle the whole human being breathing thing, but we can set that aside. As an interim step, there's a net zero for electricity, which would basically try to eliminate uh, any electricity generated from natural gas or coal by 2035. Then you got the third element, which is all electrification of the auto fleet. They feel like a yeah. little bit com conflicting visions. I don't yeah. know. I, I could be wrong, but, but, yeah. but let's unpack this a little bit for our yeah. for mean, our several listeners. I mean, I, I have a I have a pretty a pretty clear a pretty clear case on what's going to happen on that that last one, right? The electrification of the fleet, um, and the more data I'm getting, the more I'm feeling better about it. So. Uh, if you remember, a couple of weeks before Christmas, uh, before Thanksgiving, a week before Thanksgiving, um, my friends at E3 put out a really great report on what it was going to require to electrify the entire world in New England, right? Yeah, and, and, and it was sixty-five percent, sixty to ninety percent more generation, right? Um, sixty-five gigs of gigs of incremental. I, I think that's yeah. right, and you know, eight gigs of imports and twenty-two gigs offshore, and seventy percent um, from wind and solar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but they were going to have to be gas plants, right? Okay, so uh, fast forward to last week, um, Elon Musk says basically the same thing. They're like, hey, if you're serious about this, you're going to have to double your generation capacity, right? Tra more transmission is not going to be is going to be necessary, but not sufficient. Mm -hmm. Okay, so doubling your generation capacity. Um, however you think about it, is going to take a long 
long time, right? Um, building the necessary transmission is going to take a long, long time. Building 22 gigs of offshore wind, and that's just for New England now, is going to take a long, long time. So, you know, like I said, E3 said it. Ernie Moniz, who, you know, um, advised on that report, said it. Um, Armand Cohen up from the Clean Air Task Force of New England said it. Now I got Elon Musk saying it. So what all these people are trying to tell the Biden guys are is, is that be careful when you talk about electrification because you're not going to be able to do it in anything remotely like the kind of timetable you want to do it on. And, you know, if I was a more cynical person, I'd say that the car guys are are, are egging this on too, right? Because what they anticipate, what I anticipate they're going to do is come up with a deal with the Biden guys to electrify the fleets, but attenuate the timeline pretty significantly. Well, and, compared to Newsom, his is 2035. 2035, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I think it's going to look more like tw- the deal is going to look more like 2045 or even 2050. Well, might as well be 2050. I mean, everything's going out to 2050. Right. So. You know, when, when, but the idea, as I mentioned, this uh, septuagenarians is that how you septuagenarians? Say yeah. It? yeah, what are they? Are care, not right? going to be around. So yeah. there's only 50 50. I'm going to be around, right? So the idea that, um, the idea that we're going to double generation and be able to build, um, basically 300 million electric vehicles in the next 30 years, um, we would need to get going like now, you know, Roger Pilkey's got a, got a good way to visualize it that I've always been, I've always liked. He's like, if you're serious about it, you need to build a nuclear plant today starting right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, but, but this is the point you have these sort of these two tracks um, of, of advocacy, right? Uh, On the one hand, the, the electric internal combustion engine is the, like the scourge of, of the green movement, right? We've got to get rid of this thing. It's, it's a terrible, terrible thing. So we got to go all electric. Okay, so how much power is that? Elon Musk said double. double uh, I'm yeah. sure he's just guessing. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to remember that these these cars, lithium lithium ion batteries are not the greatest technology in the world. Yeah. Um, they catch on fire occasionally, and uh, two thirds or so of the cost of an electric vehicle is in the battery. So if you're going to be replacing that battery when it gets to the end of its life, because the technology still isn't there. You're talking about replacing your vehicle every six or eight years, yeah, something man. like that. Yeah. So not only are you adding the electric vehicles new, but you have to replace the ones that are starting yeah. to putter out. So it's more than doubled, in yeah. my opinion. So you're going to double our electricity generation, but at the same time, you're going to replace that which we get most of our electricity, the majority at least, or close to half, Yeah. It, it, with other sources that are currently generating nowhere near as much electricity. It, the complications in New England dwarf that of the complications in California it, it, which it, are beginning to to expose themselves yeah now try to do that nationally okay so you know this is not it is a technical potentially a technically doable situation but it is not grounded in any way shape or form in reality and economic feasibility or necessity yeah I was gonna say it it it's just it's 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 a little bit like the rest of the globalist talk, right? Build back better and blah blah blah. Don't forget the Great Reset, right? The Great Reset and all this other stuff. I've been listening to this stuff since I was a kid, 
And, you know, the, the bottom line is all this stuff's great until it bumps into one of two things. It bumps into customers or it bumps into voters. And then everyone's like, yeah, I don't want to do that. And, and you know, it doesn't matter how smart you are and it doesn't matter how um, carefully reasoned your arguments are. If voters or consumers don't want to do stuff, it's just not going to happen. And the thing I don't get is, you know, General Motors is making General Motors is making a company bet on this, right? They're literally betting the company on this electrification future. Um, that seems kind of risky, given the given the fact that you know most Americans don't buy them. You know, they're available, they don't buy them, and given the fact that. Um, there doesn't seem to be any like great big giant demand for them either. I don't I don't ever hear anybody's like, man, I can hardly wait for those new EVs to come out. I'm gonna buy it. I mean, maybe it isn't fifteen years is gonna be like that or ten or whatever. Well, but you're asking people to change lifetimes it, of, of it, buying patterns in like it's, eighteen months. It's fine if they wanna buy it. It's fine yeah, if, I don't they, care. if they're cool and they come out. It's not fine to jam it down our throats. Yeah, I mean and that's what I'm saying is is you know, say you you 17 million cars and trucks get sold in this country every year. Um, 98% of them are gas-fired, and that's just the way the world yeah, is. I mean, look, there's all kinds. I mean, I agree with you. General Motors is making a bet, the company, that they will be able to, there will be enough interventionist administrations. There'll be enough. Yeah, you're going uh, you know, to need There'll be so one. much inertia for all of this government-induced yeah. in, market design yeah. that they will be able to get over the hump here well, in the short run. But if they don't, I think they're gone. Well, I think this this company that I've got like generations in my blood. Yeah. My parents worked on the assembly line in, in, in Lockport, New York. They all buy General Motors cars. Sure. I got two General Motors cars sitting in my driveway right now. Um they're they're right making a very big bet. A yeah. very big risky bet. And they're making one other bet, right? Everybody who's a big fan of electric vehicles is making another bet that strikes me as unwise. They are betting that Americans are going to have a limited a, an unlimited um willingness to engage in, as I've said before, to engage in financial transactions with um slavers in China and um purveyors of child labor in Africa. In the Congo, yeah. And in I can't, I don't, you know, there's a bunch well, of- Well, and that stuff will start coming out. Well, it already is, right? I mean, there's already a bunch of stuff in, inside a statute that that specifically draws attention to the Chinese problem. And I just don't know how it doesn't become a thing over time, right? I think that and, the fact that it's not a thing means that, you know, except for the people who do this, yeah, who are immersed in all of this, yeah. it's- it's not These a aren't thing. even a thing. It's not a thing. Like that's yeah. the joke. They're not even a thing. Yeah. I mean, you go outside of major metropolitan areas, there ain't, there aren't EVs. There aren't people doing you know, EVs aren't anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, you're we probably got the right. numbers. Well, pull up the put the numbers in the show notes about how many EVs are are sold in in different states. Fifty percent of the the, the yeah, tax so. credit goes to one state. Yeah, it goes to California. Yeah. Texas has some because they're a big state. Yeah. New York has the rest. A couple other pockets of metropolitan areas like here. So you have your smug vehicle when, you, when you're driving to and hey. from work. Hey. But it is not happening out in the rest of the world. No, and maybe that's a, that's a good point, right? But let's put it this way. We get to 5 6 7% penetration. We start talking about it. People can start asking questions. Where's that lithium come from? Where's that cobalt come from? Where am I getting this stuff again? Yeah. 
you know, so anyway. Okay. Um, build back better. Build back without slave labor or wait, child okay, labor. So, so that's the other thing too, the build back better thing. This, <laughs> the globe, I mean, it's like a globalist coming out party. Right. Like they're we're back, baby. You know, like populism is over. None of this America first business. Even Joe Biden are like, we're not going to be America first anymore. We're going to be cooperating with the rest of the rest of the world. Yeah, so nothing, nothing says change it, like a <laughs> like a 70 year old guy who can't navigate a rug. He broke his foot. On, oh, that's he, right. he tripped yeah. over a rug. Yes. Yeah. We broke some bones now. Is that what the updated story is? I think. Is? I don't know. Who knows, right? I think he was chasing his dog when he got out of the shower. Did you not see this quote? Yeah, <laughs> so he was describing it. He's like, yeah, so I got out of the shower and like I was I was trying to traverse this little – he didn't say traverse. He you know, made my way down this alleyway between the bathroom and his bedroom and, uh, and he wanted to grab the dog's tail and the dog skittered away. Now, the dog's a German shepherd, so – I'm not completely clear, but I'm pretty confident I wouldn't want to grab the tail of any German shepherd. And then the other thing that makes me think it's kind of weird is, when was the last time you referred to a hall in your house as an alleyway? <laughs> <laughs> okay. The metaphor here is is that Biden is going to be stumbling into I – mean, It's just – Shuffling it's, into the White House. It's uh, so – Come January 20. Tripped on a rug. That's um, his story, by the way. That's not the. That's not the. But that's the actual story. They coughed up. He tripped on the rug. Yeah, I just it. It is such a perfect metaphor for this. Yeah. I mean, he is he. He is coming into the administration with the worst coattails, with the exception of John F. Kennedy, the narrowest House Republican majority since 1934. The Democrat majority. Democrat majority. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, the the Senate, if it stays in Republican hands, will be the first time since Grover Cleveland that an Dem incoming Democrat president did not have a Democrat Senate. And we got a midterm coming around the corner. Yeah. And what is he going to do for the first 100 days? He, COVID, COVID, COVID. He's right? going to get his guys nominated. And could get them confirmed if he's smart. And, and I just, you know, for me, it, it's not going to last very long. This this, yeah. this this fundamental transformation. Yeah. Business. So I was on a show the other day, and they asked me. They said, "How long do you figure the honeymoon's going to last?" I'm like, "It's over." I'm like, six weeks, maybe six weeks, and that depends. Truthfully, it partially depends on what on what President Trump how he counter programs him, which he's going to do. He's going to counter program him. He's not going to give him a break. No, I don't think so all. either. I don't think so either. Starting with probably not going to his inauguration. Oh, I know that. I'm already look. I'm already so. going to make a bunch of money on bets on that because I got him down right after the election. Because <laughs> everyone's like, "No, he'll go." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah. I bet you he won't." Everyone's like, "No, he'll go." And as that's worn on, I'm like, "The only question is, will he announce that he's going to be running in 2024?" No, he won't announce. I that. don't think he will. He's not going to run in 2024. I don't think he will either, but I don't. No, but he's not going to announce he's not. He won't announce he will. He'll just he'll he'll just hang out there. Yeah, right? just kind of being being. In, he'll he'll in wait everything. to see who's going. He'll be renting space in everybody's head. Yeah, and that's you know that the advice I give when people ask me when folks who are thinking about twenty twenty four ask me that's the advice I give them. Forget him. He's not running. Forget him. Don't you know? Run your run your race. Don't worry about him. But that is a very difficult piece of advice to take, right? All right, I know we've spent a few um, 
episodes harping on California, but um, things just keep popping up there. And that's the other thing, too, uh, and this is part of this story, is the gas bans on top of the electrification yeah. of the fleet, not allowing natural gas for residential yeah. Yeah. hookups and things like that. We have this cheap, cheap energy source yeah. that we have more than we could possibly know what to do with. EIA, the Energy Information Administration, um, couple yesterday uh, updated some of their numbers um, on electricity. California was the largest net electricity importer of any state in 2019. Their imports were at 70.8 million megawatt hours or 25% of the state's total electricity supply. California utilities partly own and import power from several plants in Utah and Arizona. Yeah. It it California also pays the highest ratepayers have the highest electricity rates in the country, 50% higher than any of their neighbors. Well, um depends on how you count that, right? The there there's Hawaii probably has the highest rates. Um but and it's conceivable that Long Island has higher rates than anybody else in in New York. But anyway, it doesn't really matter, right? They're ridiculously high. Well, they are 50% higher than any of their neighbors. Yeah, that's, oh, that's sure. They, sure. The, in the West, there's no doubt. There is right? no yeah, question. There's no doubt, right? Um, they, and they do have... Um, and, and they shouldn't have closed Diablo, and they shouldn't have closed um, San Onofre, right? That, you know, they, it's just terrible, terrible mistakes. And, you know, great thing is, um, at some point, they're going to wind up paying for it. The Well, they're, they're also, like, on track to cut a whole bunch of additional natural gas plants. Sure. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Although right? after the most recent blackouts, Governor Newsom pulled pulled back on three or four of them saying that they're essential. Yeah. Well, I mean, so. the thing about it is, is that once you acclimate people to living in penury, they acclimate to it, right? They, they just, oh, we have, we have blackouts. Oh, that's okay. Um, the people who can't acclimate to it, or of course, businesses, you know, um, especially manufacturing businesses who cannot have lines closed down. They start thinking, it's time to go to Nevada. It's time to go to Arizona. It's time to go to Texas. It's time to get the hell yeah. out of here. Well, lots and, of people are. And that's been happening, right? It, 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 you know, if, you, if, if I was a finance guy and wanted to take a long 15-year bet, I would bet that 15 years from now, California has less, much less population than it does right now. And, and part of me thinks that might be intentional, right? Yeah, I don't know because they they bring in a lot of immigrants. But the, the, yeah, the th here's the thing that. about it. Here's the thing about it, and this is something that nobody in the immigration conversation ever wants to mention because it doesn't doesn't help any other talking points on either side. Um, illegal immigration is more or less dried up in this country. There's just the truth of the matter is. Um, couple of decades of falling birth rates in Central and South America means that there are not that many more extra um, workers in those parts of the world to come to America. Um, you know, if you look at the number of Ill illegal immigrants in this country, excuse me, persons in this country unlawfully, um, the number looks um, remarkably flat over the last 15 years. That's because there aren't more people coming. So California is going to have a bit of a problem. There's just no way around it. Well, California is creating all kinds of problems for everybody else as yeah. a result. Yeah. Um, and and it, going back to the larger picture here, you you, you talked about the study in New England, uh, what it would take to both electrify and 
and uh, renewable fi New England, uh, huge expense, completely unreliable. Um, you're talking about things that are completely unrealistic about bringing in trans, you know, building extra transmission and bringing hydro from importing it. Like that is my point of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. California's importing energy to make up for their artificial and they're, they're politician generated goals shortages. Yeah, the they, New they, England states are going to be doing the same thing. They're where eventually, yeah, eventually where is it going to come from? Yeah, we live. We where live, is it going to come from? We, we live on a we live on a continent where there's there's the Canadians and there's us and there's the Mexicans and there's nobody else, and it's not going to come from Mexico and it's probably not going to come from Canada, right? Um, I, I I look at the California electrification by twenty thirty five. There's just there's no conceivable way to do it. There's just no way to do it unless you start like building power plants like right freaking now everywhere uh, in the in the Intermountain West and westward, and that's just not going to happen. They're already importing twenty five percent. Yeah, of it's their crazy. Supply. It's crazy. And you know the funny thing is, and when it's hot, and Arizona needs it, and Nevada needs it, it's, I'm well, sorry, I can't. I can't provide that. Well, and you know, you know, you know, you know what's going on, right? Places like Coal Strip, um, places like Craig, Colorado, um, places like the Navajo Generating Station—they're going away. And when they go away, yikes! You know that reserve margin is going to get tight. It's bad mojo. And the the um, the other thing, right? Part of it is it, this is a terrible thing to say, but. Um, Right, the, the... <laughs> I always worry when you start out with that line. I'm like, oh, I'm like all the other... to plug my ears. I'm like all the other lovely things I have to say. Um, there, a bit of corruption, a bit of very serious corruption came to came to light um, in California about a week ago. Right, um, a couple of a couple of Democratic members of the Assembly, I think, sent a letter to the California Public Utility Commission and said, "I happen to have that letter on me." Really? The two what does it say? Assemblymen are assembly, assembly people. Woman, yeah, one of them's a lady. Blanco Rubio, yeah. who is uh, a Democrat from the San Gabriel Valley, Mexican-born, and Jim Cooper, a Democrat from the Sacramento and San Joaquin area, a place very near and dear sure. to my heart. Sure. Who is an Afri- African American? The letter. Didn't, I didn't know that. Was dated uh, November thirty, as you yeah, mentioned. So, so a week ago, yeah. Nothing, uh, nothing publicized about it. Yeah, it's what kind of surprised me because it they. It, well, go ahead. No, you, you. Well, I, the public, you know, like every other state, right, or every other state I'm aware of, California Public Utility Commission has within it an office um, devoted simply and only to advocating on the behalf of ratepayers. Right, in California, it's called the Public Advocates Office, um, or or um, CALPA is what the hip kids call it, right? Yeah. C-A-L-P-A. Let me read. This, the Public yeah. Advocates Office is an independent organization within the CPUC, California Public Utilities yeah. Commission, that advocates, emphasis added, solely on behalf of utility customers. Yeah. Yeah. And so what it turns out is Public Advocates Office um, had a side deal with Sierra, the Sierra Club. Uh, to basically, well, I don't want to say look the other way, but essentially look the other way with respect to electrification um, throughout the state, right? Yeah, and let, let me be specific on that. As you know, California is at the 
at the forefront of this municipal ban on natural gas hookups for new construction, for residence, residencies, for buildings and things like that. So because they can't, because they lost the whole myth of scarcity, because we're producing this now, because it's it's so so affordable, the politicians who have this agenda basically now have to just outright ban it. And that's what this movement is. Yeah. And so whatever you think about electrification and natural gas bans and all that other hoorah, and obviously the Sierra Club is pretty definitively in favor of electrification and, and, and in favor of gas bans. Um, the idea that the independence of the public advocate's office could be impeached or impaired, that they themselves would do it, um, is really profoundly corrupt. Well, it's this bad. is a common interest agreement uh, is the technical term for it. Yeah. And, and they're basically just looking the other way um, on, on, on this movement. And one of the primary targets uh, is SoCal Gas. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, like I said, I, I don't, I mean, I obviously have my own personal thoughts about this, but the idea that a utility advocate, a, a, a um, consumer advocate would make this kind of thing. And it, and it wasn't public, right? They didn't, they didn't like issue a press release. They just signed this with the Sierra club. Um, is so far out of bounds, it, it's it's unspeakable. I'm going to write about this in my column eventually because it, it it's and I'm I'm very grateful to these to these two assembly people because um, I think they're doing doing the Lord's work. Yeah, I think so too, and I think that this is one of a growing number of examples of governments for hire uh, yeah. from from the green left. And, yeah. and let me point out that. Um, there is more than one attorney's general office in this country who has whole entire yeah. teams of lawyers who are paid for by the Bloomberg Foundation. Yeah. And that includes Minnesota. That includes New York. That includes this, uh, several of the states that are have been the most yeah. uh, out front in terms of you know pursuing climate yeah, uh, these these climate lawsuits and everything else. It, right. It the, makes you wonder if they were funded by Exxon. Would we be getting different answers from people? I, I have a feeling there'd be some outrage I, out I think, there. I think so too. And 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 this thing is, I guess, a natural consequence of that, right? Once you start laying down with dogs, you wake up with fleas. And um, if I was a California ratepayer, and I'm not, because let's be honest, who's left in California who has any brains in their head? Um, if I was a California ratepayer, I'd think about suing the advocate's office. I mean, this, this is this is a this is pretty serious. The, the whole issue of basically just just putting, uh, you know, just handing money to government agencies to hire additional personnel to do your bidding, yeah. basically. And the fact uh, that this is a real challenge. And, and this also, I know I'm stepping into the election waters a little bit, but these big tech companies were shelling out a lot of money to help get out the vote in some of these areas, too. Yeah. In Detroit and Milwaukee and some other places, it, it, so it, it's it's um it's corruption. You put a lot of different words on it, you know. Whether you think it's legal or illegal or licit or illicit, it's corrupt, and the people engaging in it are corrupt. And you know how you know they're corrupt because they don't advertise. 
Right. There's no transparency That's whatsoever. Right. They don't. They don't say, "Yeah, sure, heck yeah." We called up. And Mike the media Bloomberg. is not covering it. No, of this we stuff called up Mike Bloomberg, so. and he gave us a bunch of money. We hired a bunch of his stooges. Right. right. Well, know? and and if you dig a little bit deeper, even um, a lot of a lot of news outlets are getting sure man uh, funding to have interns and and yeah. stuff like that, uh, nonprofit, and yeah, know, that's happening also. It, it's it's this thing in California that that. I predict this is gonna this is gonna cause a lot of anxiety all over the place. I think Gavin Newsom's gonna have to do something about it, right? He's not just gonna be able to go, well, you know, one of those things, boys will be boys. You know, I, I didn't know that, you know, there's gonna be people at my party. Um, <laughs> no. That's out. So well, I had one of the commissioners at the French laundry with me the other day. I'll bring it up with him and see how it goes. Uh uh, and, I, and I'm glad it was. I didn't know, but I'm glad it was somebody from both the Los Angeles area and yes, the Sacramento. Very, area. That's very good. strategic. That's I good. Think. Um, to the extent there are Republicans left in California, they should applaud these two assembly persons. Um, what else we got? Uh, did I have something else on my agenda? I have no idea. I, I'm not in your head, sir. I I, I got. What the, are you working on in the Times? Um. Uh, my next column up is going to be on the very, very excellent work at the Republican State Leadership Committee. That's going to run on Thursday. Um, and then I'm not sure what I'm going to run, although part of me thinks that the correct answer is a column saying, you know what? Don't show up in Georgia. Go ahead. Let's give those seats to Mr. Warnock and Reverend Warnock and Mr. Ossoff. And let's just see what a couple, three years of actual um, really aggressive leftist looks like. Because I'm tired of explaining to people. And oh, you mean you want to lead, you want them, you want them to see just how painful it is. Lots we have a very good friend who. Uh, lots of people need to touch the stove, right? They don't believe it's We have a very good friend who, who happens to work for uh, the Institute for Energy Research, my research organization, who has said, you know, I don't know what it's going to take to get people to come around on this stuff. Perhaps maybe just letting these guys do exactly what they claim to want to do and let the chips fall. Yeah. So I'm not sure it's the right way to go, but uh, there's some good – there's a nugget of knowledge in that. There's something to it. Here's my pushback on it, right? And here's why I'm probably not going to write the column. you know, Ladies I, and gentlemen, breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> Mike McKenna Mike McKenna might write a column, but he might not. <laughs> um, I've raised my hand three times and taken an oath to um, uphold the Constitution, right? And and the Constitution is sort of based on the idea that everyone's given it as hard a try as they can, right? That competitive instincts and competition of ideas get you to the best answer. If one side just throws up their hands because – you know what? The hell with them. They're all too stupid. I'm not going to do it. I think that kind of, yeah, contrary to the spirit. I don't know about the letter, but contrary to the spirit. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And then the other thing to answer your question before we before we let everybody go home is, um, next couple of weeks, right? We have lots of interesting appointments coming out of the Biden guys. They've done the national security team. They've done the economic team. They've done the healthcare team. Now comes the fun stuff: labor, HUD, EPA. Energy, interior, interior, right? I think Deb Hallen's going to get that. Um, We're also going to have a, as we talked about, a domestic climate czar or domestic climate czar. Yeah, it's going to be. By the way, why do the Democrats like czars so much? Well, you know, they they don't actually. 
we have czars, but we don't call them czars. So Politico, I think it was Politico. I mean, Navarro wrote a, was a czar, and we had the, the Trump administration. Well, had lots it's of czars, funny but, about Navarro, right? The Office of Trade Manufacturing. They're actually going to demote that. I know. I, that's a bad move. It is. It is. It is. Um, is but but it's move. so identified with the boss they have to, yeah, right? But um, sure. So political So it's being tough on China. So they're going to have to obviously be soft on China. I don't think they're so. going to get a chance to be soft on China. So Politico wrote this thing about Biden's crowded West Wing. And it's funny because that's a, that's what a bunch of the Trump guys have been talking about. Like, <laughs> yeah. where are they going to put all these chuckleheads? Yeah, but that's how it works in that. It's like, all right, yes. you know what? Yeah, you come on in too, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, yeah. right? They they don't know how to do this. They don't know how to say no. It's like, yeah, when Pelosi's going to have trouble getting her her speakership, and getting the votes. How many new leadership positions is she going to create? A lot. Um, a lot. Um, the the thing about it is, is it's and, and this is you're going to laugh, but it's it's a problem. Space in the West Wing is limited. It just is right, and the way it's constructed is a bunch of the space is useless as far as assistance to the presidents or senior advisors to the presidents because it's open bullpen, right? Right. Um, you you take away okay, chief of staff's got his place, vice president's got his place, national security council's got their place. You got maybe. Eight offices worth having, and the Biden guys, by my count, have about 15 people. <laughs> yeah. So, so it reminds me, my office in the Capitol was literally yeah. like a carved out fireplace. I, I, I remember, Do you remember, I remember that? Yeah. They had to wind your way around and <laughs> snake down, and they closed the fireplace and created like a bookshelf. Yeah. And that was my office. You wanted to drop breadcrumbs <laughs> like, on the way in. You're like, geez. the hell? Yeah. But it, it's, this is really maudlin, but it's true. Everyone's like, I wonder who's going to get my office. And, you know, you just – you want it to be somebody good. You don't want it to be some complete tool bag. But eh, you never can tell who's going to get what office, right? And I guarantee you there's going to be hurt feelings when some people are like, hey, so bad news. You got to go across West Exact to uh, yeah. to the Eisenhower. Yeah, well, the, the, those are the woes of Washington. Meanwhile, uh, poor the, the poor bit small business community in this country is let's you and me make suffering a bet. mercilessly. Let's you and me make a bet. I will bet you that not later than January 27th, there is a story about people bitching about their office space. <laughs> no, there will be. I'm not going to take that bet because there's so many ridiculous reporters course, running around like course. talking about the The one thing I have not, I've tried not to play the space I've tried to avoid being on the record is the name game. And what do you think of this guy? Yeah. And what do you think of that guy? It's like, oh, come on. We love all mankind. Insufferable. We love all mankind, so. except <clears throat> Congressman Becerra has to go, and Mary Nichols would be a welcome addition. Like, you know, yeah, I think bounce her around a confirmation hearing a little bit. That'd be fun. I do think that would be fun. Uh, therefore, I think it might not happen. Yeah, but, seriously. Unfortunately. So Trump went to Georgia this weekend. Did he accomplish his goal or did he not? From I think your he did. Perspective? I think he did. You know, he he, he said, rambled on, but he did make the make the point. He that ultimately he made the point. Yeah, yeah. No. And, and more important than that, it's been uh, it's Tuesday, right? There's been three days in between, and he's managed not to get in the way of the message, right? Mm -hmm. He's just he's been quiet on it. So the polls are tight, but I don't believe any of them. No, you shouldn't. You can't poll in a runoff because you don't know who's going right. to show up. Plus, you don't also can't trust the polling industry ever again. I don't know when they're ever going to get it right. So it's still a push poll to me. Any poll is a push poll to me. So fair enough. I, I like I said, it it I, I saw I saw some work that suggested the Republicans are down by two points. I I don't even know how you conclude that at this point yeah. in the game. 
Although, uh, what, some $300 million has been spent on ads so far? Uh, that's just on the Republican side. They got a $300 million. And, and I'm how, assuming the Democrats are probably the same number. And how much do you think the media consultants have pocketed of that? Uh, well, at least 15%. Yeah, at yeah. least 15%. It's a good gig if you can get it's, it. I don't know why I didn't go into that yeah, I was going to say, we're not going into this law and order business. That's All right, sure. so Trump did make uh, some... Uh, some inroads with a certain segment of voters. I'm going to play this in a, as our cutout uh, and uh, wish all of our viewers a wonderful week. And we'll see you next time on the Unregulated Podcast. And cucumbers. Who who does cucumbers around here? Because I like cucumbers. Can you, I'm the only one. I like cucumbers. <laughs> Peace out, ladies and gentlemen. I like cucumbers and watermelons. <laughs> see you, gang.